If you have a copy of God's Word, I'm going to invite you to turn to the passage of Scripture that you've just heard read for us as we begin this time of continuing in worship through His Word in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. Well, this weekend in Alabama, it is true that it is beginning to look a lot like Christmas. We enjoyed Friday. This is a a gift to our boys to come to Alabama and to be able to build snowmen. This happens every year in Alabama. Is that right? So a lot of snowball fights. Uh, the snowman didn't quite uh, come out. It, it, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't that impressive, but our kids had a lot of fun between Friday and Saturday. There were a lot of Christmas music that was floating through the Eldridge home. As the church has been very gracious to allow us to stay in the, one of the mission homes here close to the church. And so if you would have gotten close, you would have heard uh, certain Christmas songs that were familiar to you. I saw a listing of the top 25 Christmas songs that have been played over the last five years. The top five would be ones that we would have heard this past weekend in our house and maybe you've heard in your car or at your home. Number one, the Christmas song, Chestnuts Roasting on an Open Fire. Number two, Santa Claus is Coming to Town. Number three, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. Number four, Winter Wonderland. Number five, White Christmas. It goes to the top 25, and I do need to put my Christmas song cards on the table before you because number 25 is, in my opinion, the worst song ever composed. (laughs) And I know I'm going to be offensive to some of you here because you love, I, I love Sir Paul McCartney, but a low point in his musical career has to be a wonderful Christmas time. You know that song, simply having a wonderful Christmas time, simply having. My son, a few years ago, found a YouTube clip of the chipmunks singing that song, and he played it incessantly, and I think I have been scarred ever since. There, there are a lot of personal preferences when it comes to picking your favorite Christmas songs. I think all of us have one uh, for nostalgia and also for musical quality that we would lend ourselves to and we would have in the number one or number two or number three or number four or number five in our top five Christmas list. But I, I want to impress upon you a, another Christmas song this morning. We've heard it sung. We've heard it read. It's one not of earthly significance as much as eternal significance as who it points to, and that is Jesus Christ. N.T. Wright, a bishop in Durham, now a New Testament professor at St. Andrews, said about the Magnificat. Magnificat is just the Latin translation for the first phrase that comes off of Mary's lips, which is, my soul magnifies. N.T. Wright says about the Magnificat that it is one of the most famous songs in Christianity. It's been whispered in monasteries, chanted in cathedrals, recited in small remote churches by evening candlelight. 
It was set to music with trumpets and kettle drums by Bach. It's the gospel before the gospel, a fierce, bright shout of triumph months before Bethlehem, 30 years before Calvary and Easter. It goes with a swing and a clap and a stamp. It's all about God and it's all about revolution. And the message that we just heard read for us, I love the paraphrase that Eugene Peterson gives us of Mary's words where it says, Mary was bursting forth. This is her song. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. In verse 48 of Luke chapter 1, we read, For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Mary bursts forth. She erupts forth with song in a unique meeting of these two pregnant mothers, Mary and Elizabeth. It's a portrait of contrast, is it not? Elizabeth uh, has the seniority upon Mary. She is older in age. She is carrying In her womb, John the Baptist, who will close the Old Testament age and usher forth the new covenant. It is Mary, who is penniless, poor, peasant, young, teenage mother, bursting forth with uh, life there. That her son, the one that she is carrying here, will be the one who brings about the hope of all humanity. The salvation of all who would bend their knee. Mary and Elizabeth, two pregnant mothers, two mothers who are bursting forth with this joy that God has chosen them at two different seasons of life to carry John the Baptist and to carry Jesus. If you were here last week, I told you that John the Baptist, his whole ministry is to say, I'm not the one that you need to look to, but, but he is. He is. And it's interesting, isn't it, that, uh, that John the Baptist, as he's still in the womb, he has this ability that, that he's still pointing people. So as Mary comes into the room and Elizabeth hears the voice, the, the, the babe in, in her womb jumps, it leaps, saying, that is the one. That, that's the person that I'm going to point everyone to, Jesus Christ. And here we have this song that, that Mary sings, a song really of revolution. As N.T. Wright says, it is a song of reversal. There are two reversals that I want us to see, see in the lyrics of this song here. And the first is the social reversal that Mary sings of. That her son will bring about a social, a societal reversal. Not only for that first century world, but also for our world. Mary's song is, is rich with scripture. Her song's lyrics are, are filled with the words of the Old Testament. There, there are seven allusions to the Psalms in her song. There are allusions to the prophet Isaiah, 
also to Habakkuk, also to Genesis, and even a, a pregnant mother's song in 1 Samuel chapter 2. The song of Hannah is there upon the lips of Mary. It shows us of the piety and the faithfulness as the Holy Spirit comes upon Mary and draws upon his own words that are inscripturated in the Old Testament, become the very lyrics of her song now that we read of in the New Testament. Mary sings of God's faithfulness. And it is interesting that the first reversal that her song points to is the reversal that she would be the one who gives birth to the hope of all of humanity. That this poor, penniless, peasant teenager who is being whispered about in this small town scandal. Did you hear about Joseph and Mary? Oh, I can't believe that. Mary, I I can't believe that that's occurring. That small town scandal that is being whispered about in Mary's day will be the very way that God ushers in his son into humanity here. And what she says is, is that generations will call me blessed. God the Father in his infinite wisdom could have chosen any mother, but he chooses Mary, an ordinary ordinary. Not, not the wife of a, a priest of the day. Not, not the wife of someone who is at the top of the social ladder. There is no prestige. There is no position that Mary will bring about as, as Christ has come. But this, once again, is coming to, to someone who could relate to anyone. Mary. Most unlikely of candidates to be the mother of the Son of God. So Mary says that while others are concerned for making a name for themselves, God is going to exalt her, and we are still talking about Mary today. Look at the contrast of what she says in this social reversal. In verse 51, God scatters the proud. In verse 52, he's brought down the mighty from their thrones. The rich he has sent away, in verse 53. It is a reversal of values. Even in that first century religious milieu, that first century religious culture, it would be the rich that would have been seen as blessed by God. It would have been the mighty who would have been seen blessed by God. And Mary is saying, with the coming of my son, the son of God, all of the values will be reversed. And he is bringing about a revolution in our midst. There's in many ways in the lyrics of Mary's song a very specific challenge to the ruler of the day. You see, there's going to be a ruler that hears of the song of Mary. Uh, Not from Mary's lips, but from the Magi that would come to say to Herod the Great, where is the king of the Jews going to be born? And in Herod the Great's hearing, there's only one king of the Jews, and that is him. Herod. Herod Herod is an interesting person because as John Ortberg tells us, a pastor at Menlo Park Presbyterian Church outside of Hollywood, California, Herod was one who ultimately exalted himself above all others. He was a corrupt, he was a shrewd politician that would take about that name, King of the Jews. 
He had massive building projects that he instituted. The temple that he built was built on the back of uh, the levying of taxes upon the poorest of the poor. He alienated many of the elite of his day also. So common citizens and even the elite and prestigious of the day, they did not like Herod. And so much so that Herod knew that when he died, there would be great celebrations Many of you remember about a year ago in Miami, seeing Castro's death celebrated in the streets of the Miami, uh, right there just in the open for people to see and CNN and Fox to cover to say, here this dictator has been brought down. And there was great celebration. Herod the Great, 2,000 years before that, he knew that this would occur at his death. So he ordered the execution of 70 of the most elite citizens of that day so he could ensure that there would be grief when he died. This this is the type of person Herod was. He outlasted, he outmaneuvered, he outsmarted, and he outfoxed all of his rivals until one day the Magi come to Jerusalem and they say, where is the king of the Jews going to be born? And you remember the way that Herod is so threatened by this that he says, we must get all the children that are two and under around the surrounding area of Bethlehem and we must put them to death because there will be no rival to my kingdom. I and I alone will be the king of the Jews. And in Mary's song, Mary is challenging the, the Herod's dominance, challenging the values of Herod right there. Because Herod makes a name for himself and he wants to stuff out and snuff out anyone else who's going to challenge him. And Mary is saying there's going to be a name that is going to be exalted and it is going to be the name of me, this poor, penniless, peasant, teenage girl, because God has chosen me. So one This king, this tyrant, is being brought low. One, this poor, penniless, peasant teenager is being brought high. And there is a reversal of societal expectations. I think it's important for you and for me, as we think carefully about the spirit of Herod, that there, there, there are still Herod the greats that are maneuvering and planning and desiring To make a name for themselves. And the the song of Mary, it challenges the spirit of Herod in the church and in our society. You know the spirit of Herod can become the values of the church? You know the spirit of Herod can become the values of the marketplace? And do you know that Jesus still today in the 21st century challenges the prevailing notions of the great And the least, you see in our society, in the church and outside the church, oftentimes we applaud pride as ambition. Oftentimes we celebrate pride as assertiveness. Oftentimes we come alongside of those who are the most prideful and and we clap and say this is a sign of achievement And Mary sings a song of her son that says, He, God, has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. And in verse 52, He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich He has sent away empty. This is a song 
that upturns the expectations of their day. And if we would have ears to hear, it continues to overturn our expectations in our day. That son was born. That son was uh, learned a trade under his dad's hand to become a carpenter. He, he was baptized by the one who would leap in the womb of, of Elizabeth. And then he begins to teach. In Matthew chapter 5, we find a, a, a compilation of, of really the greatest hits of Jesus' ministry as he taught there on the Sermon on the Mount. And he sits down, and out of the first words that come out of his mouth are, are sort of familiar words. Now, Scripture does not tell us if Mary was in the audience, but, but I wonder what Mary would hear when her son would say, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I've always wondered if Mary was in the audience. I've always wondered if Mary said, you know something? I used to sing him that song. The Magnificat is the song of social reversal, but it's more than just a song of social reversal. It's a song of spiritual reversal. Again, looking in your copy of God, good, looking in your copy of God's Word, He tells us the Holy Spirit upon Mary says that there's good news for the hungry and not the rich. There's good news for the humbled and not the exalted. It's good news for the weak and not the strong. Yesterday, we tried to go see a movie. I don't know how you see movies when the last time you saw a movie. We don't get a lot of opportunities to do that, but we had this little window of time. When you go to the movie, you can anticipate that if you go to a 7 o'clock movie, that you could, you could get in there reasonably at 7.20 and not miss any of the movie because what? They're coming attractions. They're previews that will usher in the movie. Now, for me, from my house... There's only one way to go see a movie, and that is to see the coming attractions. It's one of the highlights for me that right there I get to see what I might want, what sort of at this season of life I would wish that I could go see, but I can't go see. But it's interesting to see all the different things that are coming there. So 20 minutes of five or six different types of movies that are coming out. And it's always been, even since I was a young boy, something that I, was, I had to be in the seat at the movies. I had to be there to see it. Now, Mary's song, the Magnificat, in many ways, it is a coming attractions of sorts. It, it is a preview of what is going to come in Jesus' ministry. You see, the main event shows up, Jesus Christ, the, the main movie of his life. And it wasn't surprising to Mary because she has sung of the types of critiques that he would receive. Jesus comes and he gives his attention not to the most powerful, not to the religious elite, but oftentimes to those who in his culture just did not have it all together. And this is what he was criticized. That, that Jesus was a, a glutton and a friend of sinners. Those that had it all together would say. Do you notice who he spends his time with? I don't know how you are as a mother, but I have a feeling that if you've ever heard your son or daughter criticized, it, it strikes you to the core, doesn't it? You'd probably rather anything else be said about anyone else rather than a criticism of your son. 
And we have to imagine that, that Mary would have heard these criticisms, but she would have to say to herself, well, I sung about it. It's not surprising to me that this is the type of ministry that he would have, that, that when Jesus is criticized by showing up at a well and there was a Samaritan woman in, in the light of the day that he is spending time with saying that there is water that you can drink from and you will never thirst again. And the disciples would say, do you know her past? And do you know that she's a Samaritan? I wonder if Mary would say, ah, I sung about that. When Jesus sees a, a, a tax collector by the name of Zacchaeus that really lose all kinds of dignity and climbs up a tree to see him, and Jesus says, come down from that tree, and everyone gasped because they would have thought to themselves, the Messiah, quote unquote, is going to eat with a tax collector. I wonder if Mary would have heard that and said, I sung about that. She's upending the spiritual expectations of that day, and she continues to upend the spiritual expectations of our day. Before I came to be your pastor, I would oftentimes, when I was pastoring my previous church, around 2 o'clock or 3 o'clock, be coming back from the hospital, coming back from a visit, I would oftentimes stop at the same gas station, the same clerk around two or three. I don't know what gets you in the afternoon, through the afternoon, but for me, it's Coke Zero. Sanctified beverage, Coke Zero. And so the caffeine moves me through the rest of the day, and so I would always come in, not every day, but very often, and I got to know the, the clerk pretty well. And one day, I think I had a suit on coming back from a funeral or something, and she looked at me and she said, what do you do for a living? And I said, well, I'm the pastor of the church there. And she responded, you're the pastor of the church there? It was kind of a coming attraction. I've been here as your pastor for the last four months Oftentimes, people will say, what brought you to Birmingham? And I'll say, well, I work at Dawson. What do you do at Dawson? I'm the pastor. They say, the real pastor? <laughs> the, you, like the real pastor, the senior pastor of that church. There's a lot of clarification that I have to, I have to give there. So, when I was really early in my ministry, 24, 25, I would go into a new community and people would say, what do you do? What brought you here? And I would say, I'm the pastor. And then they would look at me and say, I know you would be a great student pastor. I'm sure you're a great youth minister. So I've, I've gotten those responses for one of these days. I won't get those responses, I guess. And I would long for the days that I was mistaken to be the youth minister. But we had a conversation, this clerk and myself, and I said, I would love for you to come to our church. I don't know if you're attending church somewhere, but I would really love for you to come visit us. And she looked at me and she said, you know, that sounds good, but I've really got to get my act together before I would feel right stepping into your church or anybody's church. And so the gas station was really sort of empty and we had just a brief conversation. And I said something of this essence. G getting your act together isn't a prerequisite for going to church. Christianity is the story of God sending his son. Because you and me, we, we can never spiritually get our act together. 
This is the story of grace. This is the substance of Mary's song. Did you see that? Did you hear that in her song? Mary's song is the gospel before the coming of her son that will usher in the kingdom of God. The gospel is that you are saved by grace, not saved by being a good person, not saved by having your act all together. This this is Mary's song. She sings this, that if you say, I'm all in pieces, God will bring you together. But if you say, I've got it all together, God will scatter you. This is the reversal of her song. And and really, this is good news. Oftentimes, we think of Christmas as a time that is a sentimental, hallmark, cliche kind of time. And often the hurting, hopeless They feel as if they're walking past a season where they cannot and are not permitted to walk into. They feel as if Christmas isn't for them. But Mary's song is a wonderful reminder that Jesus Christ is first and foremost for those who understand, I don't have my act together. That spiritually, I'm not where I need to be. It's, it's actually those people that say, I've got it all together. I've got it all figured out that, that God's judgment comes upon. But for those of you that are in this room, there is good news. The Magnificat sings to us today that there is hope for the, those that are in this room that have messed up one too many times. That for your friends and family members, this is good news to celebrate and to sing of. That there is hope for those who are laid off this season or hacked off this season. There are hope for those that are disappointed. Hope for those that are depressed. Hope for those that don't have anywhere else to turn to. It is in that moment that maybe them more than anyone else can feel the loving embrace of the Savior that Mary sings of. What about you this morning? Do you come into this room knowing your need for his love? Do you come into this room admitting your need that spiritually you do not have your act together? Do you know pain in this room this morning? Do you know loss in this room this morning? Do you know disappointment in this room this morning? Do you know doubt in this room this morning? Well, if the answer is yes to any of the above, then you can be comforted. Mary's song is for you because the Savior that she carries in her womb sings to you and sings to me in our darkest places. And those places that no one knows of, that we speak not of, that Jesus loves you in spite of you. Do you know that? Do you know you don't have to impress your Savior? And that the more you try to impress Him, the further you are from Him. Would you meet Him this morning in your need? Would you meet him not in your security, 
Not in trying to pretend that you've got it all together. But to hear Mary's song, anew and afresh, singing to you in your need. Let us pray. The song of Mary is a song that continues to sing to our hearts this morning. For those that have come into the sanctuary that have said, I don't need to be here. I really don't have my act together. May they feel the embrace of your grace. For those that tears are close to their soul, loss, disappointment, May you remind us of the song that Mary sung. That her son will embrace us all who would call upon your name. All who would seek you in the midst of pain and disappointment. In the midst of the admission of our sinfulness. May we be reminded that in our pride, you humble us. And our self-sufficiency, you scatter us. May we come before you, not pretending to have it all together, but upon broken need, broken need, admitting our need for you today and forevermore. It's in your name we pray, the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.